You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey folks, Brian Nichols here from The Brian Nichols Show. Are you tired of partisan politics? Do you want to hear the news without that media narrative? Do you want to be more well-rounded as a person? Or how about this? Do you want to get to know and learn from noted entrepreneurs, elected officials, C-level executives, economists, and more? Well, how about this? Look no further. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Again, I'm your host, Brian Nichols. Go ahead and learn more at briannicholsshow.com. Okay, so hear me out. You like getting cash back for the normal stuff you buy throughout your week, right? Of course you do. Check out the Dosh app. That's D-O-S-H, Dosh. Dosh is available at the App Store and Google Play Store and securely connects to your credit or debit card. From there, every time you use those cards, Dosh searches for available offers. Once it finds one, Dosh automatically redeems the offer and converts it into cold, hard cash. Muchos dineros, brother. Then deposits that directly into your Dosh wallet. Click the link to download and join Dosh today and get $5 just for joining. This link is exclusively in the show notes of this episode. So, show notes, special link, Dosh, $5 cash. Start on the path to quick and easy cash back on the things you love today. Hey everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Folks, in the year 2020, I think we've all been forced to really imagine things that are becoming a reality that we would have never thought could exist. And I'm not talking about the Tiger King phase of quarantine or when there were riots or, you know, when everyone thought that there was going to be, uh, you know, some type of digestive issue with coronavirus. So we were all stocking up on toilet paper as if it was the end of the world. And uh, now we've got an election coming up. So people are imagining two completely dystopian features as an outcome of each. Uh, We've had to endure a lot of things, but, you know, some of it is good. Some of it has actually forced us to take an evaluation of our life and really assess whether or not we're going to live the best possible lives we can, especially as we look into the future and we ask, well, shoot, what's going to happen? There's not much we can control in the world, but we can control a lot of the things that go on within our own lives. And over the last couple of months especially, we've been really asking, how do we achieve actual genuine freedom? The freedom to travel anywhere in the world when we choose to. The ability to go ahead and travel and make an income wherever we go, to build wealth and to transfer wealth and to actually have the ability to have the the burden of abundant options. I don't think I've ever encountered anyone that ever said uh, too many options is a bad outcome for anything, but these are all things that uh, we've had to ask ourselves, and it's been an amazing journey from discussing, you know, how Mark Clare's life, good friend of the show, Mark Clare, how his life changed when he just spent a few months in Mexico at the beginning of the pandemic, to our friends over at um, Wealth Without Wall Street, who have been able to really find a way in which just everyday people can figure out how to actually obtain financial independence in their life. 
Um, this is something that you wanted to hear more about, and this is why I wanted to go ahead and bring on our guest today, who has been able to achieve that, but he's living a life that many people don't really think that's obtainable for them. Luckily, he's the go-to person for all of this. Today's guest is the number one best-selling author of Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make a and make giant piles of money. If the title right there doesn't catch you, I don't know what will. He hosts the popular podcast, The Expat Money Show, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and is the director of EscapeArtist.com. That's EscapeArtist.com, the world's oldest offshore website. He's traveled to more than 100 countries. I don't think I can name 100 countries off the top of my head, including North Korea, Zimbabwe, El Salvador, and Iran. Probably not on your vacation list, but it's interesting to know somebody's been able to travel there. He's lived overseas in eight countries and has circumnavigated the globe more than 400 times. I don't think most of us have been able to circumnavigate their own state, nonetheless, the world in one lifetime. He can help you to internationalize your life and business by legally utilizing the offshore markets to reduce your taxes, protect your assets, and regain privacy and control over your life. Please welcome to the show, Mikkel Thorpe. Mikkel, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on, and I, I want to I be straight with you. I usually don't listen to the shows of every guest I have on, not because I'm not interested and they're not fantastic people, but because I don't often have the bandwidth during the day. I've been listening to your show for more than a year now. I discovered it through a recommendation on iTunes, and I I do have to say, in terms of how I've thought about where I want to see my life within a given decade, it's certainly changed having just been exposed to your thinking as well as the fantastic guests you've had. So I've been excited for this interview for some time now. Well, first off the bat, thank you very much. I do appreciate that. Um, I'm super happy to be here and I'm super excited to jump in, share some of my knowledge and hopefully inspire some of your amazing listeners. Absolutely. And I kind of I kind of want to jump into this because as a listener, this has been a story that you discussed on episode 100 of your show, The Expat Money Show. Uh, you recently underwent another life change. You moved from the UAE to Panama. And I have to say, and I'll let you explain the story, but as you were explaining what this move was like, I, I found myself laughing, but not not because it was funny, because it wasn't, but just because you lived one of the most nightmare moving scenarios I think I've ever heard of in my life. And man, I was I, I was sympathizing with your experience because having grown up in a traveling family for professional reasons, I, I had some horror stories. I know many other people within the same line of profession of my families that had their own horror stories. But man, you you take the cake on that. What happened? <laughs> Okay, so, and and I think this is kind of funny because, I mean, I do this stuff for a living. Like, stuff like this is not supposed to happen to me considering, you know, I've been at this for 20 years. But basically, we decided um, at the beginning of last year, of 2019, that we were going to leave the UAE. Now, I had been in the Middle East for about eight years. My wife had been there for about nine years. She was in Doha for three years and then six years in Abu Dhabi. And we started packing up all our stuff and we found a shipping company to to take all our belongings. You can imagine, you know, um, almost a decade each in the Middle East, we had a lot of things. We got rid of our furniture, we got rid of our car, we got rid of those types of things. But all our personal stuff, you know, we put into a shipping container. So we loaded it all up, everything seemed fine. Um, We, you know, it was a full day of moving, like full, full, full. And 
then once everything was out of the house, we, we had like maybe one suitcase each, you know, me, my mother who travels with us and she helps take care of our daughter. So the four of us, me, my daughter, my wife, and my mother, we each had one suitcase. And then we went traveling for, I don't know, six weeks or something like that. We went over to China where my wife is originally from. We went back to Canada. We traveled around the UAE, yada, yada, yada. And then we arrived into Panama and the way that we had timed it was so that we would we would get to Panama and then like a week later or two weeks later, our stuff would arrive, you know? So we'd kind of had this interim period where we could be digital nomads and everything would be fine. Well, so the, the week, two weeks goes by and our stuff is not here. And then another two weeks go by and our stuff is not here. So now we have to start going out and buying new things. Okay, we had to buy a bed anyways, but I mean, I think I had take, taken my desk with me and my computer with me. So I work, I have an online business. I'm a coach and consultant. I do content and marketing. I run a magazine, an author, yada, yada, yada. Well, I just buy a new desk. Okay. Then another couple of weeks go by and we're not, we're not getting our stuff. I don't know what's going on. So we're buying more things, more things, more things, more things, things that we have in the shipping container. Well, about a month and a half goes by and this company who's supposed to be shipping the stuff, you know, they had been telling us, oh, you know, it's, it's just some paper problems with the paperwork. It'll be there in a couple of days. Or, um, yeah, we're, we're looking into it. We understand that there's a problem and we'll sort it out. Well, it turns out the stuff actually had arrived to Panama, but we didn't have our bill of lading. So I don't know if your listeners are familiar how international shipping works, but basically there's a piece of paper which allows it the, the goods to, to come to shore. So it was in port. It hadn't crossed that barrier. There had been no tax or customs paid or on it, anything like that. Now, they're all personal goods, so we didn't actually owe any tax or any duty or anything like that. And then after, like, I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks, the company just stopped emailing back. They just stopped. So we're like, what the hell is going on? We try to call them, <laughs> and, like, no one's answering the office phone number anymore. So then this is supposed to be a worldwide company, so we call you know, we, we had been calling Dubai. Um, then we started calling Australia. We started calling Spain. We started calling California. And nobody's answering the phone. I'm like, ah, oh, this is very weird. A week or two goes by again. We start reaching out to the shipping company, to, to the actual ship itself, the ones who own the shipping container. And they keep telling us, well, we're waiting for the bill of lading. I don't know. So we get the lawyers involved. We get the customs agent involved. You know, we have to start spending a lot of money trying to figure out what's going on. And we're starting to get notices from the shipping container that our grace period of 30 days is now gone. We've blown past that. And I think they were starting to charge us like $50 a day in fees for, for the ship sitting there. And then they upped it to $100 and then they upped it to like $150. And there's no end in sight. And then we start getting emails from them that if we don't collect our stuff, they're going to destroy it. We're like, oh my God. And so my wife is freaking out. You know, she has like, my wife, she's very beautiful. She really likes fashion. She likes her handbags. I mean, she's got like $100,000 worth of LV and Chanel handbags, you know, like all of that's in there. All of, uh, you know, pictures of my daughter, um, all our personal effects, stuff from my travels, stuff from my trips to all around the Middle East and Africa and Asia, all of those types of things, 20 years of travel carpets and stuff, it's all in there. Anyways, long story short, 
we couldn't figure out what was going on. And we start getting these threats from, from the government or from the, from the shipping company. And they tell us that uh, if we don't pick our stuff up within like a week, they're going to let the government employees in there. They're going to go wild. They're going to take whatever they want. Then the remainder of the stuff is going to be destroyed. They're going to, they're going to burn it. So, we end up. Well, what just shocks me about that is that they they told you that we're just going to let our employees have a run of your property. Yep, it's like free that's, for all. You that, know, that's something like, you hear out of a bad film. Yeah, it was like I was so torn up. I was so like physically ill from this, and it's not even about you know like okay, I understand like possessions are not the most important thing. You have to have your health and yada yada yada. I mean, but we're talking about pictures of your kids. Like those exactly. are things that, you know, they might not have a monetary value, but to exactly. you you would do everything you did to get them back. Exactly. This is so much Only only a sociopath value. would say no, just yeah, burn the exactly. burn the photos, <laughs> get rid of them, take what you want. Exactly. And any any man out there who wants to have a happy marriage don't let your wife's handbags be pilfered or destroyed. <laughs> like, I am a very happily married man. I would like to keep it that way. Thank you very much. <laughs> so anyways, we, we, we find out that the company that we had hired in Abu Dhabi to ship the stuff went out there and they, did, they found a third-party company. So instead of outsourcing it to the ship and then being the agent, they found another agent and then promised that agent that they will pay them once the stuff has arrived. So we paid cash to our agent. They did not pay the cash to the secondary agent. And the secondary agent, which we had never heard of before, we didn't even know the company's name, then had the bill of lading. Then they were starting to hold the bill of lading hostage if we did not pay them again, pay them directly. So then we had to pay for everything twice. So now we're, we're talking like a solid five figures to ship our stuff over. And, like, I mean, the stress involved was absolutely ridiculous. So we ended up, we ended up caving. Like, we, we tried to get the lawyers involved. They weren't going to be able to do anything in time. We tried to get uh, the police involved. We got the police involved in Dubai to go down to the office. There was nothing they could do. Like, it was all it was super, super dodgy. And, uh, yeah, and this, this company that we hired basically pocketed all the money, then closed their doors, and then didn't pay any of their suppliers. So then there was, like, hundreds of people that were out of money, uh, were out money. It was really brutal. Um, so, yeah, like, we ended up getting our stuff back in the end. It ended up costing us, like, I don't know, three times, five times. I don't even know how much more money. And instead of the stuff arriving like a week after we we got here, it was like two and a half months or two months or something. It was horrible. <laughs> has this made you, has this made you never want to move again? No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if like this story is like very beneficial to my business at all. I mean, I help people move overseas and encourage them to move overseas. So me telling a story about how horrible it was, you know, probably is not in my own best interest, but at the end of the day, we got all of our stuff. Everything worked out like okay. It was stressful. Yes, I lost I lost sleep over it. Yes, but I mean, we've also had an amazing time here in Panama. It is such a beautiful country. I wouldn't trade my experience of living in Panama for anything in the whole wide world. Um, we've made amazing friends, and and yeah. Um, but be careful out there. I, I guess maybe the only like. Uh, moral to the story is do your due diligence on the people that you work with. Don't just look at some website, look at the longevity of the company, try to get some references. Um, this is just, 
so so important. Well, I, I, I promise we'll we'll leave this one here. I wanted to start with obviously one of one of the most harrowing moves you know move stories I've ever heard. I mean, congratulations! You could put that title up on your website if you want. But uh, you know, often I you know I've it, it, I think over the past couple of years, primarily my my work has been in social media and marketing. Um, I always imagined myself being able to eventually work from wherever I want, so that way I could match my career with my lifestyle and live in the most accommodating place possible. And with COVID and everything else that's happened the past year, this actually became a reality for me. Now I work permanently from home, and I feel that even if I were to switch jobs or something else, I would never have to physically go back in an office again. And as I have these conversations with my friends who somewhere in the same position as me, um, you know, there there are a lot of people that I think have a very I'm, I'm not going to use the term closed mind too. Ne- too negatively, but it's just that they've never thought about the things that you and your clients have thought about. And primarily it comes to this, and this is the foundation for everything that you've been doing um, over the course of your life so far. It's that you're trying to achieve more freedom in your life. And, you know, freedom of movement is a big key in that. Uh, to kind of, you know, introduce people into this whole world, what, what's kind of your origin story? How did you become this professional ex- expat helping other people achieve that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for my story, we have to go quite far back in time. So when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And in grade three, the, the teacher and the principal and the resource teacher, they pulled me aside into a, in a little room and, and they sat me down and they said, Mikkel, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, a special school for special boys. And that's what they did. Every day for three years, I got on a little, little white bus and I took that little white bus across town and I went to a special school. But the only problem was it wasn't a special school. It was actually a regular school with a special class. So you can imagine how people were. They picked on me a lot. I got into a lot of fights. I got bullied. I mean, it was a pretty terrible experience. Now, this is no woe is me story, poor, poor Mikkel by any means. Because honestly, I gave as good as I got. Like I got in a lot of fights and I I, I stood up for myself. So I don't want you to, anyone to feel any sorrow for me and by any means. But when I went back to my neighborhood school in grade seven, you know, I really thought, wow, everything is going to be okay now. Like this really horrible experience is over and all my neighborhood classmates from my neighborhood school are going to be so excited to see me and we're going to go back to normal and I can just be happy and everything will be fine. But you can imagine how it was. Like, you know, they kind of gossip and, and whisper and, you know, oh, yeah, I remember him. What happened to him? Oh, he went to some some retard school. You know, 1980s, totally politically correct. Children are very sensitive human beings, you know, like. <laughs> These so, days we call it the short bus. Yeah. So I, um, I started failing out of school and I stopped going. And they'd send me to summer school and I just kind of, stop going to that and fail that. And then I got into high school and then I stopped going to high school and started failing that. And, you know, I, I was a pretty willful child. I'm, I'm a willful adult. Like, like try telling a, a child what to do like me. I mean, you don't get very far, but um, yeah, at, t- at 12 years old, basically I stopped going to school. And at 15, I had officially dropped out. 
And, and not shortly after that, I started traveling and I started traveling internationally. And when I did, I started meeting these incredible people around the world. And they were doing things like really different. The way that they were learning, the way that they were living their lives was so different than anything that I had seen growing up in Southwestern Ontario. And it really taught me like there's not just one way to do things. Like actually there's many ways. And the way that we do things on a regular basis and through the state is actually not the most effective way. And often it's just you need a different type of, a different method for you that makes sense. So now today, I mean... It's 20 some odd years later. And like you mentioned in the intro, like I've been traveling basically nonstop. Like I just, as a teenager, I started traveling internationally. I fell in love with it and just didn't stop. So, I mean, I built my entire life, my career, my family, everything on this. Like talk about eat, breathe, live, sleep, you know, this type of lifestyle. This is what I do. I'm not an armchair traveler. I don't just talk about things that I've read about. Yes, I'm a voracious reader, but not in this context. The things that I talk about are things that I've done in my own life, how I've done tax strategies, how I've had more freedom, how I do asset protection. These are things that I actually do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I mean, what what I appreciate about you being a listener is that um, I, I think we have somewhat of a similar mindset. I would say that I, you know, over the last couple of years, primarily, I'm I'm pretty much a apolitical person, like what you would typically see in the mainstream news. No, you know, I, I divorced it from my life when I left media, and I am a physic, I am a philosophical libertarian. I just mm-hmm. really divorce the the political aspect because what I see amongst many people, and I see this within like the the self help genre. And you know, for for my program on the run, uh, this is really an account of me trying to grow up as a functioning millennial adult in a strange world. And I'm trying to take people on this journey. But I think the the biggest disconnect I have with many of my peers and even many people quite older than me is that we have this scarcity mindset. We're so stuck on what is immediately happening. We're consumers before we're savers and anything else. We care more about what one person getting elected may do to our lives compared to what we can immediately do. And the thing that your show has inspired me to really take into an account is that the world is a giant place. Often we talk about the, the fact that the world is quote unquote shrinking, but ultimately there, there's more than enough space in the world and more than enough opportunities to craft the life that you want. You just have to know how to do it. And the, the retort I often receive from people is, well, you have to be completely loaded to do it. You have to be completely wealthy to do it. And if I've learned one thing from listening to you and many of your guests is that that's just not true. What, what, are, what are the typical people that usually come to you when they actually want to begin to develop an expat lifestyle for themselves? Have they already kind of committed to it or are they really just trying to figure out whether it is for them by dipping their toe into thinking about it? Well, I mean, I work with all levels of people and I try to put out content, which I try to take really like complex ideas and make them really simple. And when you do that, you're going to be able to help not just people who are at the very beginning from this, but also people who are farther along because you're still offering valuable content. So, I mean, I do a ton of things for free. We run, I think, seven newsletters on Escape Artist, which is the the blog that I run. Um, I have my podcast, The Expat Money Show. I have a book that's on Amazon called Expat Secrets. I mean, that's like, what, 18 bucks? I mean, that's 
very little money for an investment to to get a good understanding of this thing. So those are kind of the the, the free to cheap things. But I mean, we also do citizenship by investment where you can buy a passport in a couple of months and it's a million dollars. But I mean, in between those levels, I mean, the the work that I do can help anyone and everyone. I guess a lot of it comes down to the mindset, what it is that you want. Um, and everybody's reasons for these things are different. Like some people I work with, they actually don't have a problem with tax. You know, as long as they can choose it, if they can choose the country that they live in and make an, a conscious choice of it, it doesn't bother them so much. We're working with someone right now who wants to move to Germany. For some reason, that's it. They want to move in Ger- move to Germany. Well, Germany Just because they like Germany? Yeah. Like, and I love Germany. I've been to Germany 30 I, I times. Bet, I bet Germany like, is nice, but when I think of, you know, affordable living, I exactly. don't necessarily think of Germany first, but to each their own, to each their own. Exactly. And that's my point. You know, I mean, our most popular countries that we help people relocate to are certainly going to be Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, Belize, things like this down in Latin America. It's easy. People know and understand it. The visa process is quite good. The cost of living is very low. The standard of living is very high. Learning Spanish is extremely easy, especially compared to learning some of the other languages out there. Okay, the European languages are probably not too, too difficult. But I mean, people who want to live in Thailand or in Japan, or something like that. That's a whole other step. I've lived in Asia myself. And I mean, that's certainly more adjustment period. You could put it that way. Um, I think it is a good time to go ahead and transition into your new book, Expat Secrets. Uh, This recently came out. What separates this new book from some of the other content that you've provided folks in the past? So it's not that new of a book. I think it was published almost two years ago, but it's it's the primer for a lot of people who want to be expats. Um, It is 18 chapters long, and every single chapter is about a different topic. And each one of those topics will kind of lead you down the rabbit hole. So we'll we'll talk in depth about offshore banking, offshore incorporation, residency, citizenship, alternative currencies, precious metals. So there's a lot to do with the the protection and privacy aspect, which is a big part of my business. I do suggest that people pick it up Um, from there. There's video courses. There's tons of other things that are added on that I'm able to keep more refreshed. So you'll see at the end of every chapter, there's a special link where you guys can go and get additional resources. You know, those things are easy to, to change because you have to understand immigration laws change, tax laws change. Um, Updating a book is hard. Updating, updating a website is much simpler. I, I am just kind of curious. Uh, 2020 across the world has just been uh, a year that most people will not forget anytime soon. Have you seen a increase in your customers? Yeah, about double. <laughs> <laughs> double. I mean, uh, we, I get about, I'd say these days I get about 3 million people who read my stuff or listen to my stuff. I mean, yeah, we're seeing a big increase this year opposed to last year do you think it's gonna slow down anytime soon i mean for for me i i've seen quite a few folks uh in, in my neck of the woods i'm in northern virginia uh we've had folks move farther down south in the united states we have a few people i know that moved to mexico uh one family moved to canada and, and it seems like from what i gather 
as an outsider kind of looking into this, a lot of the reactions from what I feel have been emotional impulse reactions, just people wanting to escape the right here, right now, get literal distance between where you are and where you want to be, and then kind of let things settle. Do you think you know, the events of the pandemic and a lot of what we've seen across the world, do you think that a lot of people are just reacting to this? Or do you think that this, everything that's going on has just been kind of like the last straw for them to make that jump? I think that you have two main things going on. The one is exactly what you just described right now. But the second one, and the one that a lot of people are not talking about, is the paradigm shift. So let's let's give an example here, because I think examples are, are very helpful. So imagine that you are a white-collar worker, and you're working in New York or Chicago or any of these major cities, major metropolitans, and your office has been closed down. And you're now working from home. This is happening every day, to hundreds of thousands, millions of people right now. So you've been sent home and you need to work from home. Now, originally, studies had shown and people had thought and the opinion was that productivity would go down. Well, what we're actually seeing is, on average, people are working 90 minutes more a day. They're happier. They're getting more work done because there is less interruption Um, There's less water cooler talk, things like this. They're more focused. Yes, there are additional challenges. So a lot of people are having to deal with pets, with children, with preparing lunches and things like this. They're not just running to Starbucks or something like that. Okay, but overall, we're seeing that the numbers are going in our favor. So here's the paradigm shift. A lot of people, the first instinct will be, well, why would I move, or sorry, why would I um, stay in New York City or Chicago? Why wouldn't I move to rural Illinois or rural New York State? Okay, so that's that's the first thought that people are going to be thinking about. So maybe the, the barrier to that is, well, you know, I want my child to have access to good education. Very reasonable, you know, like I'm certainly no fan of state-run education. I think you could probably guess that based on my story. (laughs) Just a little. Just a little. But I mean, with a lot of people, education for their children is is very important. Education is very important for my child. I'm going to homeschool and unschool my child. Like I I would never put her through that type of state-run system. I'm I'm very anti-state. And I also agree with you to your earlier point. I'm libertarian with a small L opposed to a large L. I actually don't know very much about the LP. You don't Uh, want to. Yeah. Save your time. Yeah. So, I mean, philosophically, I'm a very hardcore libertarian. Um, I follow Austrian school of economics. Um, That is my mindset for me. Anyways, back to my story. So the paradigm shift would then be, why are people going to be sending their kids to their neighborhood school? The school has, the school system has abandoned the children. I mean, like just out of nowhere, it was like here, now it's your problem. You deal with it. Oh, we still want you to pay tuitions. We still want you to pay all the tax. We still want to do all these things. And then the government is getting involved. And then they delayed online programs from private schools and from charter schools or from online academies. Um, They didn't want people to have access to that. It was really, really messy, especially at the beginning. So why are you going to move from your big city out to the countryside? Why wouldn't you, you know, a lot of people are moving out of state. Maybe they're living, moving to a state like 
Texas or Florida that has no state income tax. But what about taking it one step further? What, in, what if instead you moved in, from New York to Belize or New York to Panama or to Portugal or something like this? I mean, think about from an educational standpoint for your child. I mean, the things that they will learn from moving to a new country in a new language, with a new culture, with new friends. I mean, there's nothing else in the world that you'll ever be able to replicate something like that. And you're really going on an adventure with your family. So I'm a massive fan of that. Now, here's another thing that people are not talking about. When businesses open back up and they are not being subsidized by the government, people are going to be let go of like crazy. This, oh my lord! The rise of the robots alone. I mean, is, all, all the all the yeah. praise that we're giving in the United States for the for the essential worker. It's mm-hmm. like, are you really are, are you at, are you sitting at home, you know, watching Netflix, ordering your Uber Eats? Are you really going to be upset when the truck stop when the truck driver is replaced by automated trucks, mm-hmm. or why the person stocking shelves is replaced by the Terminator? You're not really going to. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Economies have to grow. It's part of that, you know, that 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 growing period between it. But, you know, the the idea that we're going to go back to how things were prior to it's all this. It's never going to happen. It's dead. It's it's over. It's over. And the people who hold on to those dreams are going to go down with the ship. I am I know you guys probably don't want to hear this, but things have changed. They're not going back to the way they were, and you ought to adapt. Because if you don't, I mean, you're really being irresponsible, especially if you have a family. A lot of my messaging, I do come from the family aspect. I mean, I'm a young father. Um, My family is everything to me. And protecting them is the most important thing. So this is my invitation to you. And and you guys are probably going to think I'm crazy. Because once this PPP runs out, I mean, a lot of people are going to be laid off, and they're never going to be hired again. Companies are going to Mexico and to India and to um, Vietnam, and they're hiring new employees that are much cheaper, who are doing just as good work, and they're all set up now to do remote work. So, okay, so this is my invitation to you. Go to your, your boss and offer to take a pay cut. Voluntarily, offer to take a pay cut. Tell them, I want to take 25% less to still work with you. Then when the cuts come, you're not going to be the one who gets the ax. Now, oh, you, you're thinking, now you are thinking, Mikkel, you're an asshole. I'm <laughs> not doing that. I'm worth so much more. I'm entitled to all of this. All right, let me finish. Let me, let me spell it out for you. When you move overseas, your cost of living will be half, if not one quarter of what you were spending in the United States one half to one quarter. So by taking a 25%, even if you took a 50% pay cut, in actual real life terms, your standard of living could be twice as high. And I'll give you an example. When I lived in the UAE and I lived there for eight years, we had a small apartment and it was getting a little bit crowded with four of us. And I'm, I'm well to do, you know, my business is quite successful, but it was really expensive there. When we moved to Panama, I moved downtown Panama City. My view, I'm right above a park, and right next to the park is the ocean. I have ocean views. It's a 4,700-square-foot penthouse apartment, two stories. And I mean, I am paying 
like half of what I was for a tiny apartment for a small, not tiny, but a small apartment in the UAE. I have floor to ceiling windows, like 13 foot ceilings in my apartment. I have a full-time assistant who helps me out at the house, who runs errands for me, goes to the bank for me, does all these things. I mean, my standard of living is so much higher here by being in a developing, developing country. We get a giant sack, literally a sack of organic vegetables delivered to the house every week for like 40 bucks, 50 bucks, mangoes and avocados and fresh pineapples and all this really, really nice food. For if you went to Whole Foods or Whole Paycheck, as I like to nickname it. It's like $50 an avocado. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like, like, I mean, it's ridiculous. But I mean, when you bang the stuff for like 50 cents or a buck, I mean, your standard of living is going to be so much higher. You will have a beautiful apartment. You can have a full-time man, uh, nanny. You can have a full-time maid. You can have them live in if you want. Like the average price, and, I, and I'll speak specifically to Panama, but a lot of the neighboring countries are similar. You know, you're going to pay anywhere from $400 to $500 all in for five days a week, eight to 10 hours a day, full-time help. I mean, that's pretty awesome. So, I mean, no more cleaning toilets, no more washing the dishes, no more doing the windows or scrubbing the floors. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. And then you think to yourself, all right, I want to build a business. I want to have a podcast or I want to write that book that I've always been wanting to do. Well, I mean, you can keep that job that you were doing remotely for your business, for your, for your company back in the States. But I mean, without all that extra work that you need to do for running errands and cleaning, you can devote that time to building something. So at the end of the day, I promise you will end up ahead. You, you, you bring up something which is so incredibly important. And I don't use the, the word mindset because I feel like it's it's very overplayed by, by many other individuals. So I like to use the term outlook, how you see yourself in relation to the rest of the world. And I think the one thing that really changed my outlook on the world was when I stopped valuing money as just something to obtain more material possessions. And I started seeing it as essentially uh, a a numerical amount of wealth I had to basically buy back my own time. That's really how I how I see it. And uh, I, I mention this on the show every so often. One of the biggest changes in my life was when I had a, a very close childhood friend of around 14 years. He was a super athlete, was going to go into the military, airborne soldier, all that stuff. He randomly died of a heart attack sitting in a car of his fiance at the age of 23. And when that happened, and, and now I'm 26, it, it, it blows my mind that I have been on the earth longer than he had the ability to. And I, you know, you, you look at situations like that and you begin to think, what would that person have done if they were still here? Would they have taken more opportunities? Would they have put more good into the world? So when I look at my money now, it's less about what can I get with it. It's more about how can I use it to buy back my own time for other opportunities. And uh, I, I have this... I, I call it a vain goal to a large degree. I tell uh, my girlfriend and our friends, one day if I'm going to call an Uber, I want to be at a point in my life where I can call an Uber black to go 10 blocks up the road. Not because I just want to look cool, but because I want to have the option of doing that. And they hear that and they're like, oh, you're just wasting money or just doing all this other stuff. It's like, imagine what I could happen if I never had to drive myself again. I, I have this addiction to work. I work all the time, and you're probably like this. You, you, you work because it's just how your 
program to work. And when I look at all the time that I spend on meaningless, stupid things that I have to do throughout the day, I just look at that as how much time could I have been doing something else that one, I could have enjoyed or two, I could have at least made money out of it. Because without that, I'm just losing time. And I think within the expat community, from what I've been able to see is very much an outsider looking at this point is that the the outlook in terms of how they see themselves and their time and their money in the world is vastly different from your just a regular person. I'll say not even the United States, but anywhere. So, I mean, you touched on some really valuable points there. When I look at my business and the things that I want to do, and, and we, can, we can talk about lifestyle afterwards, but from a business standpoint, I do two things. I write and I speak. Those are my core competencies. I have 10 staff. They do everything else. I don't want to do all that little stuff. I don't want to clean the toilet. I don't want to cook by dinner. I don't want to do any of those things. Yes, I know and understand how to do it. I'm no, I'm not, um, not, it's not that I'm not able to do these things, but when I'm working, I want to focus on the things that I'm really good at. I write and I speak. That's it. Um, that's the thing that earns me the most amount of money. That's the most the things that drive my business the farthest. I mean, I've been interviewed, I don't know, 120, 140 times. That's a good use of my time. I can't outsource that to anyone else. I can't take one of my employees and have them sit down on your awesome show and talk for me, you know? But I can have him do the graphic design for me for the cover art for some promo that needs to go out. I'll let them do that kind of stuff. So I think that when you look at time, and this is in a general business aspect, um, and it does have those ramifications for for your life, is is trying to find the things that you're really good at that are going to move the needle and focus on those. And I do believe when you're an expat, you're able to do those things. And that really ties back to my, my example of having an assistant that works for me at the house who helps me with all the things that I need to do. I mean... I don't want to go run across the street to the pharmacy to get some, I don't know, some multivitamins or something like that. I'd rather pay him. And you know what? I pay him literally double what you would pay, what any other uh, person in my position would pay their assistant. But I, I like to pay him more. I know that he's loyal. I know that he works hard. I want to help his family. I come in, I drive the economy here by spending my dollars that I earn um, in a place like this. And I think that any time that you can find opportunities where you can do things, uh, where you can have people do things for you that frees up your time, even if that freed up time is just like free time, just like mental, like time to think. I mean, when you create content and, and God, you're a content creator, you must feel the same as I do. You need to let things percolate. You can't just like sit down and write for 13 hours straight. That's not how it works. Like you get a few hours a day, every day that you can do that. If I can spend an hour in the middle of the afternoon and, you know, go do some stretching, go do some yoga, meditate. I mean, that's a good use of my time. That frees up my mental cognitive abilities to do things in the future. If I had to stand in line at the bank, I mean, that sucks. Like, I don't want to do that. I, I tell people, uh, when I, so I, one thing that the pandemic allowed me the opportunity to do was spend more time that I have available to open up 
new businesses. And one thing I started doing was author consultations. Mm-hmm. I've, I've published several books myself. And what's what, what's funny is probably for every three clients I have a, an hour to two hour long call with, uh, two of them will just end up not writing the book, and that one that one session is basically the the make it or break it moment in terms of where they see themselves committing to the act of becoming a writer because it is very much like anything else, like becoming an athlete, becoming good at anything. It takes time, discipline, and a lot of practice and, you know, room to fail. You will spend countless hours messing up before you know how to actually do well at it. And the the one thing I, I mention quite often is you, you've got to be able to sleep less. And they're like, why, why sleep less? Because I'm like, because if you're living this constant crazy life you're living, you need to understand that you only have so much time during the day. For my two books, I always found myself the most productive between uh, 11 p.m. at night and 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do it because I loved it. I did it because I wasn't going to sleep like I had already written the books. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the cost benefit of that, I'm willing to give up maybe three, four hundred hours of sleep to get a book done. So that way I can sleep eight, ten, maybe if I'm feeling really lazy, twelve hours because I've already done all the work, because I have the royalty checks coming in, because I don't have to work as hard, because now I can monetize more of my time, my value has increased, I can be more selective about the clients I have. Mm-hmm. And it, it's such a I I say this, and I feel like when I say it out loud, it's very simple. When I bring this up to people who at least come at me with the appearance of having the intention to do it, not willing to give up sleep is probably one of the number one excuses I hear. And that's what I believe separates somebody that's actually going to go ahead and start a new podcast or write a book or do anything else from the – millions of people that think about it but will never do it because they they don't like the inconvenient life they're living but they're not willing to live slightly more inconvenienced if it means that maybe later things will be better yeah i understand that there's a big difference between instant gratification and delayed gratification i guess that i am a workaholic there is no question about it i work 12 13 14 hours a day but I don't work 12, 13, 14 hours a day because I have to. I work 12, 13, 14 hours a day because I like to. I like creating new projects. I like writing new books or special reports or podcasts or anything like this. And I mean, that's going to be the driving factor. Now, I'm not doing it, oh, so I can get more money in my bank account or I can get a, uh, a new watch or I'm flossing or some of this horseshit. No, I'm like literally on a mission. I feel like every single day that I can help someone else to legally reduce their tax bill, to have more freedom in their life. I mean, starve the beast, like that gets me excited. Like that gets me super pumped up when it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm working on an article. I mean, those are the things that really drive me forwards. I could do, you know, six hours a day or eight hours a day and then call it quits and I'd be fine. But I mean, I create work for myself. I don't need to run seven different newsletters and publish over 100,000 words of edited content a month. But I do. And I give it all away. Not all of it. I give 95% of it away for free. I mean, but you have to look at your goals and what it is that you want and what is your, what is your driving force. You know, if it's just to be financially free, 
I mean, you probably don't have to do as much as I do. Probably don't have to do as much as you do either. I mean, a lot of these things are simple. And especially like my example earlier, when you move overseas, when your cost of living is one quarter of what it is, I mean, if you're making 50,000 US dollars and you're living in a place like Mexico, you're, you're well-to-do. Like you are upper class for sure. I mean, you're going to be able to do the things that you want to do in your life. You're going to have a nice home. You're going to have a nice vehicle. You're going to be able to eat restaurant meals, go on vacations. But $50,000 living in California, I mean, what would you have left at the end of that? Like You'd be able nothing? to buy one avocado from home. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, the taxes and stuff, like, like we're not going to make, we're not going to get too much into the taxes in this interview. But I mean, as a very quick, quick, quick note, I mean, in a lot of the countries that we talk about, you have no obligation to the country that you live in for taxes. Your obligation is only to the United States, but they have a program called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion, which allows you to deduct over $100,000. So, I mean, we used an example of $50,000 in Mexico, but you actually could earn over $100,000, like $108,000 and pay zero tax. And if you live in a territorial tax system, you won't be responsible to the country you live in. $108,000. Imagine that. $108,000 in in Georgia or in Georgia, the country, not the state, or in... I was thinking um, for a second, where are you going with that? Yeah, Montenegro. <laughs> I'm thinking Eastern Europe. Montenegro or um, Belarus or something like this, or you go to Argentina or Chile. I mean, you're killing it then. Like, you you are the 1%. You're the 0.1% um, on a salary that, you know, it's really not that much, especially if you're living in California or New York City. I mean... Oh, have have you seen the numbers of people that are leaving California just within the yeah, last I'm six months? I'm helping them. I'm helping them. Oh my them. gosh! Yeah, we're helping them move to a zero state tax first. Set up all their their driver's license, all their stuff there. Spending at least a year there, and then after that, they'll be moving overseas because California government they want to now track people and have an exit tax when tax when they leave the state. Um, and there's even talk of a bill going forwards where they'll be able to tax you for 10 years after you live, leave California. I mean, get if out. That, if that like, isn't like, it, that, that, that is, that, I, I don't say this just to say it, but like that, that is slavery at that point. If they oh, own yeah. you, no matter where you run away, how, how can you say you're a free individual? And I, I, I don't really want to get into politics, but I think this has been a beautiful time, and regardless as to what people will say about Donald Trump, and this uh, this interview is probably coming out right before, right after the election, so I don't want to predict anything, but I will say the one benefit from him is that he has made everybody question the institutions they have. When it came out that he paid $750 in taxes and people were crying, the first thought that went through my mind was, how can I do that? Yeah. What, what do I have to do? Well, I mean... The article and how that was written, and, and especially the headlines, is quite slanderous. Now, I'm no Donald Trump fan. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a fan of any political party in the United States. But I mean, we work with people all the time and help them to legally pay zero taxes. Um, we, I work with offshore lawyers, offshore tax accountants, CPAs. I mean, it is possible. You can do it. You can do it. I can do it. Everybody can do it. I mean... Are you willing to pay for the specialized information? Are you willing to make some changes in your life? And that might include moving overseas. Um, 
how flexible are you? But for me, from a philosophical standpoint, I don't agree with taxes. And my, my mindset, my philosophy is so important to me that I did something about it. So, I mean, I get interviewed on libertarian podcasts all the way, all the time. But people have to understand, I don't just talk about ideas. These are not like, hey, taxes, theft, war is murder, but it's okay to live in Los Angeles and, you know, contribute to the war machine and give away half of your income. For me, that's like wrong. Oh, I'll go a step further. I mean, I I think, and this is a very, this might be a very egotistical thing. I, I live, I live a very very fiscally conservative life. I'm very lucky with many things that I've done and many situations that have allowed me to get to the point where I am. So this this will come off as elitist to a large degree. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not even where I want to be in terms of my financial independent journey. I'm getting there. So this will come off as course. My criticism, and this is a free lesson, American libertarians specifically, my criticism of libertarians in the United States is that they're poor and they don't actually want to make a big change in their life. And I say that publicly quite often, and I get all the hatred. But you know, we, the options are out there, and I don't understand why when I have conversations with people who are ideologically on the same wavelength as me, and I'm like, "Why are you living? Like, dude, watch Dave Ramsey one time. Why are you living with sixty thousand dollars in consumer debt? Mm-hmm. Why? Why is your health so terrible? Why do you work this job that you hate instead of developing more skills? Stop complaining about how the Federal Reserve is killing the dollar. You're not going to end the Fed, and you can't mm-hmm. say that ending the Federal Reserve is the only way you're going to be free because there are options in the world. And this is coming from somebody that was a proud college graduate, but I also say I'm a proud white to you grad, YouTube University. Mm-hmm. It's not like the information's not there. It yep. just comes down from the choice, and it is a very deliberate choice not to take action. Very well said. I mean, you can go and live in a country, and we can use Panama for an example. You can get a visa here. They have a program called the Friendly Nations Visa. It's $5,000. And it's open to one of 50 countries, US, Canada, Australia, all of Western Europe. Basically, if you're listening to the show, most likely you qualify. Five grand. Um, if you have dependents, you bring them with you. They run a territorial tax system here. That means that if you earn your money outside of Panama, then you are not taxed. Another country is Costa Rica. So we already discussed quickly how you'd be responsible for the US, your deductions with that. I mean, talk to a CPA. I'm not giving individual tax advice. We have to look at your situation. Contact me. I'll refer you to someone or we'll do a consultation. No problem. But five grand, you get a residency. Come down to Panama. We'll go out for beers. No problem. You're going to pay zero tax. Now, add to that. Add to that. Panama, Costa Rica, these countries have no military. They are not invading other countries. They are not dropping bombs on women and children. You are not contributing to that. For me, when I started looking at a new country that I wanted to live in, and I left the Middle East, I wanted to be in a country that had no military. I want to live in a peaceful place. I want a high standard of living. I want safety. I want to protect my family. I want to pay zero tax. These are really important things for me. And I don't just talk about them. I do them. 
I, I think that is the perfect place to kind of wrap things up. Sir, I, I have learned so much from you as a listener of your program, but this conversation has just made me more excited to keep conversations like this going. Thank you so much for your time. If people want to learn more about you, check out all the the, the crazy amounts of content that you've created to help add value to people's lives. How could they do so? So a couple of different places you can look for me. I mean, you can search my name on Google, Mikhail Thorup, and I mean, you'll find tons of stuff. But go to Amazon, pick up my book. Like I said, it's like 15 bucks or 18 bucks or something like that. It's not a lot of money to invest in yourself. Uh, It's called Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money. Super humble title. I know I'm a very (laughs) humble kind of guy, you know, as I'm sure you can understand from this interview. Or listen to the podcast. It's called The Expat Money Show. Notable guests are Grant Cardone. We've had... Um, Richard Mayberry, um, Jim Rogers on the show, tons of like really important, incredible human beings who I've been very fortunate to interview. Um, go check those things out. And, you know, you guys are listening to a podcast. I'm sure, you know, you have your favorite podcasting apps, but basically we're on all of them. So, um, and then the blog, uh, Escape Artist. I took over Escape Artist about 18 months ago, uh, took over the company, and it's just gangbusters right now. We're just growing at such a rapid pace. I rebuilt the entire company, the newsletter, the website, the blog. We have a a magazine called Escape Artist Insiders that's published on the first of every month. Um, It is a paid subscription, but I mean, that is the premium intelligence right there. And yeah, man, lots of places, lots of stuff we do. It's exciting. I'm having fun. I love it. I love this shit. It's awesome. Absolutely. And folks, I'm going to make it super easy for you. I'm also going to go ahead and include everything in the show notes. So you have no excuse to jump on it after hearing this and knowing it's there. Your fault if you don't. Mikel Thorpe, it's been an absolute blast getting to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. Folks, to wrap this up, if you know it costs you nothing, but it benefits me tremendously. Leaving a five-star rating and review, it'll take five seconds of your time. Be honest, but you know, also be awesome and you know, tell people why they should listen to the show and share it. You you got so much information from this show that I know is going to at least change your mindset as you begin to understand how do I achieve actual freedom in my lifetime by being a man of action. And you know, th- this is how we get this message together. Uh, I've done many projects in my life. This has been one of the most successful and I've done it without having to advertise really. And this is coming from somebody that is in the ad industry. Um, it's because of fans like you sharing this message, helping us grow, helping us, you know, break our own personal records every month in terms of great conversations, downloads and all that. So please, a five-star rating interview on iTunes helps us go so far. As always, I'll leave you to it. The only people who are free are those with options. You're listening to On the Run. I'm Rumpster W. Martinez. Good night. Check out our other shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com. 